The Gospel according to Mark, chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is God's word. You may be seated. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. There comes a point in many a Christian's life when they're ready to go home. And I'm not talking about to a physical address. But they're ready to go home and be with Jesus. Whether after a, a long and, and difficult life or, or a tiresome battle with sickness, uh, whatever it might be, maybe they're just well along in years and they just say, I'm ready to go usually they're, they're okay with it, but many times, sometimes, their family is not. And this is not a, a bad reaction. Um, death is always a very startling, awful thing because God never intended death. He made a perfect world. He put the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. He, he didn't intend that people should die. It's an awful consequence of sin and and now for the Christian, though, even it's still difficult, it's still hard because it's separation from ones we love for a time. But it also, part of the, the offense for us, too, is that we don't like it because it maybe scratches or uncovers a little bit of our, our consumer humanistic tendencies or viewpoints that creep in from our sinful nature in the world. As though this life is supposed to have all fairy tale endings. This life is supposed to, to go according to our plans or that we could get to a point in our life through wisdom or some endeavor or by gaining enough things that we could kind of control and manipulate life. But we can't. And Peter couldn't. Jesus had to show him. Jesus has to show us so that we see God's grace in the cross. See God's grace in the cross, his and ours. We hear, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. It couldn't be avoided now. Jesus was not going to Jerusalem to be, to be crowned king by Herod or, or declared ruler by the Roman governor. 
Jesus was going there to suffer and die. And, you know, before, maybe kind of said it in veiled ways, but now he just says plainly. And he prophesies to his followers, to the disciples, exactly who's going to kill him and exactly how it's going to happen on a cross and that he would rise again from the dead. You know, and they're thinking, whatever that means. You know, what, what does rise from the dead mean? Peter, all he knew, he knew he had finally gotten to the, the realization, this is the Christ, the Son of the living God, made that confession. That is the truth on which the church is founded, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now he's saying that he's going to suffer, the Messiah, the very Son of God, is going to suffer and die at the hands of these people? No way. Peter didn't want the cross. And to be honest, we don't either. So Peter rebukes Jesus, takes him aside, rebukes him. Lord, this shall never be. You know, what is this, this crazy talk you're talking about? You ever try and talk God out of the good things that he's doing for us? Peter did. He did, and, and why would he do this? You know, he wanted the good times to continue. All he saw on a cross was an end to the beautiful relationship he had with Jesus, the three years of ministry. How cool would it have been to follow Jesus and have him right there? Right? Like you're following Jesus, and we get back from the synagogue, and my mother-in-law is sick, and Jesus just heals her, and then she gets up and begins to serve, you know, or, or you see him raise the dead, or you see him heal, and you get to hear him teach you, like the perfect teacher, and that everything he says to you is perfect, so even the rebukes, they hurt, but they're good. You know, how cool would it have been, and all Peter sees is the end of that. Peter wanted that to continue, and he wanted to control, and he said, Lord, this shall never be, but, but Jesus said, no, Jesus was heading to the cross, and he says, he says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. That's pretty harsh. Not that Peter himself was Satan, but that Peter, Peter's words were right in line with Satan's and the way Satan thinks about things or the offers that Satan gives us. Think of Jesus in the wilderness. He said this very word to Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Satan had offered him power. I'll give you all the kingdoms. Just bow down to me. Offered him security. Offered him relief from his great hunger. Just turn those stones. But the goal of Jesus' life was not happiness. The goal of Jesus' life was his Father. The purpose of Jesus' life was his Father's will. Why do we make the goal of our life happiness? Or making a better life for our kids or, or trying to get rid of all hurt, all pain, all difficulty. Now, those are all good things, aren't they? Yeah, they're absolutely good things. They're blessings that God gives and grants um, in different amounts, and we're thankful for those. We pray for those. It's a very good thing. But to make those things our goal is where we get into trouble. But you hear it all the time. You know, Pastor, God just wants us to be happy, right? No, that's not... Jesus' goal. God gives that as a blessing oftentimes throughout our lives, but that's not the goal of our lives. That'd be a pretty sad and pitiful goal and also one that would never fulfill. I mean, think about it. How many times haven't we made that our goal without saying it? That I want to be happy, I want to be relieved from pain or suffering. And then what happens? Well, we, we end up maybe getting involved in a substance that might make us feel happy for a while. We might you know, get involved in, in sinful, controlling behavior, behaviors which aren't healthy for us, nor are they healthy for others. Sometimes we overload relationships 
with way too much pressure so that it stresses them because we're looking for something that those relationships were never intended to give. Like I'm going to find my happiness in a person or I'm going to find relief in a person or I'm going to find escape in a person. That's not what that relationship was for. But it strains the relationships when we look for those things in a person or simply um, we we endeavor to make things better for us or for our children and so we overload our schedule with experiences or things that we're told are going to make things better or life better and we just end up running all over the place and not find and finding less and less joy in the things we're doing or endeavoring to do but we do that why because our goals are off our purpose is wrong but why do we keep doing it I think it's because sometimes we think that maybe we can attain it or maybe the world can give us this. I mean, it seems like other people have found it, other people have it, and the only thing we can point to is maybe what they're holding or the relationships they have or what, what they get to do and experience. And, and that just confuses it. Adam and Eve learned the hard way when their purpose and their goal got off and they decided, if I just take that fruit from that tree of which God said, don't. Then I'll have what I think I'm missing. Or then I'll have fulfillment to something I thought I was not having. And then they took it in an instant, realized how wrong they were. And we have that experience over and over and over again in our lives. Jesus had to go to the cross. Twice he says it. The Son of Man must suffer. It is necessary, sometimes translated. No, the Son of Man must be killed and on the third day rise again. Why is it a must? Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. On the cross, you see, see two beautiful things about God. One is that he is just, which is a wonderful comfort. Whenever we suffer or we feel that we suffered an injustice and no justice in sight, we know God is ultimately just. He always sets things right. And God set things right on the cross because he punished every sin and every sinner to the max penalty, hell, for all eternity. Second thing we see about our God in Jesus Christ in his cross, is that God is merciful. God is truly merciful and gracious, giving, giving to the undeserving. Because what did Jesus do at the cross? He took upon himself all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our running after, just, just messing up our goals, messing up our purpose, and sinning in the meantime. And, and he took all of that upon himself, all of our shameful words, all of our shameful thoughts, all of our shameful deeds, and God allowed him to bear that punishment. And then he punished his own son with what we deserved. So that that second thing about God is true, that he is merciful and gracious because then he sets you and me free. Jesus paid our penalty so that you and I are forgiven of every single sin. All of our shame has been removed and we are right and at peace with God and he assures us as we look at all the empty crosses that the punishment has been paid and heaven is our home, God is our Father, and he loves us and is pleased with us when he looks at us because of his son Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. 
see God's grace in the cross, his cross, and ours. It, I don't know, it's not, it's, no. You have to teach, you have to teach them, you have to teach your children. Now, remember, I'm not supposed to tell direct stories about my children. I'm on strict orders. However, I'm going to tell you a story in general about children. Sometimes you have to train them to say thank you, right? Because they'll get that gift from someone or that present or whether expected or unexpected. And what do they do? They run right to that gift. They open it. They start playing it. If they have siblings, you know, in general, sometimes they'll want to run away from their siblings so they get to play for it, with it all by themselves. And that becomes the most important thing. And what, is the, what do the parents have to remind them to say? Let's say it together. Thank you. Right? You ever have that? Obviously, you've had that experience, right? Um, and it's, it's just a common thing. We start to love the gift or the blessing more than the giver or the one who blesses. It happens all the time. Um, and, and, you know, you're, you're struggling with that kid at the kitchen counter, almost holding their hand to scribble out a thank you, to send in a card to the person who, who gave them a gift, rather than just immediately being surprised and overwhelmed that, that anyone would even give us gifts. As undeserving as we are, as sinful as we are, yet we get all these wonderful gifts and blessings, and then just to revel in the love that God has for us in all these blessings he gives us when he does give us happiness, when he does give us, um, you know, a better life for our children, when he does give us all these things that, that, but also to recognize it when he also gives us crosses. Now, Peter didn't want the cross, did he? Peter first rebukes Jesus. Then what else did Peter do? You know, when he got to the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, I made all those boasts, I would never leave you, I would go to death, with you, and then when, you know, and then as he was cutting his way to freedom and glory in the garden, cut off the guy's ear, and, and Jesus heals and tells Peter to put away his sword. That was too much for Peter. He couldn't handle it. He didn't want chains on his hands and follow Jesus, and so he deserted him. And then later he denies him with cursing, and then he goes out and he weeps bitterly. His faith had faltered. He despairs of himself. He does not understand how this cross could be any good, and so also we sometimes struggle when we are not happy, struggle when we have awful times, struggle when we are persecuted for our faith, or we have an inner struggle that we, just because we are Christians and we don't know why is God allowing this, how long, oh Lord, do you even know, Lord? Do you even care? What are these crosses? What is the cross for you and me? It's not the cross which Christ suffered on to pay for our sin and hell. No, we can't pay for our sins. That's been done on Jesus' cross. It's not just anything bad that happens because bad things happen to unbelievers too. But what is it? It's all the different times that we struggle, that we suffer, simply because we're connected to Christ. Whether it's an external thing and people look down on us because, because as Christians, our goal is God and our purpose is his will. So with that goal and that purpose, the world's not going to agree with it. And so when our friends want us to go along or our co-workers want us to join in on something and we don't, and then they look down on us or we're passed over for promotion or people think us weird or we're left out when we want to be accepted 
or simply maybe it's the inner struggle that we feel and doesn't seem like anybody else feels, but we feel because our conscience convicts us of some certain path that the world approves of and celebrates, but we say, no, I can't do that. All of that is bearing the cross because God is our goal and his will for us is our purpose in life. And is it worth it? Jesus lays it out for us. He says, whoever would come after me must deny, whoever would be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This is part of living for our Savior. The struggle. We, there are cartoons going on. My kids watch, well, the kids in my house, whom I may or may not be related to, watch an appropriate amount of cartoons in our house. And sometimes in cartoons you have that picture of, you know, like the little good version of you on one shoulder and the bad, evil version of you on the other. You know, as Christians, that's us. That's a picture of our life. It's actually a really good picture because there's always that constant struggle. This is the cross we bear. This is the cross we're sick of. This is the cross that will only be for this life. In heaven, we won't have that burden to bear. But we bear these crosses. And is it worth it? Well, Jesus says, if you would follow after me, you're going to have this cross. And... God only gives us what is good. Might not always be easy, might not always make us happy, but he gives us what is best for us. Jesus put it this way. He said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? There's really not a comparison. Think of how valuable who you are is. As Christians, you have God's love. You have assurance time and time again of God's forgiveness for you in his word and his promises, in his sacraments, all for you so that you know you are loved, you are forgiven, and God goes with you and God is your father and God watches over every single moment of your life and he is so concerned for you and that he fights for you. He puts things in your life, whether you like them or not, that are always going to keep you close to him, that are always going to mature you, help you, train you, grow you. Now, the world can offer you everything, but it never fills. It never fulfills. It does not compare with the glory that is, will be revealed in us when Jesus returns to take us home. And the glory we have now as children of God, as saints in God's sight. Why the cross? We kind of touched on that a little bit, but why the cross? It's because God cares for us. It's because God loves us. And he does what is needed in our lives, whether we think it right or not, or the timing is great or not, but he gives us what we need and will be a blessing for us. Sometimes the crosses he puts in our lives make us cry out, but they also mature us. They make us stronger for the next battle. Sometimes the crosses God puts in our lives make us realize how much we need our Savior and how much he loves us. And we fall on that alone. Sometimes, sometimes the crosses are because Jesus, as an expert surgeon, cuts deeply into us and draws out and drains out some idolatrous idea or thing we were thinking or operating on that we didn't even realize, but he takes it away from us. So we have him and him alone. Sometimes we don't know the purpose of the cross. I mean, we know his love for us, but we don't know exactly why he's putting it in our life. And we fall on that one. That one's a difficult one. You know, maybe he's doing it not only for us, but he's doing it for someone else to see or, or some other blessing in someone's life. But we simply trust and know because he is the one who gives it to us, the one who loves us, the one who has forgiven us, the one who is going to change our address from an earthly address 
to a heavenly one. And so we take this cross and we follow him because he gives it to us because he loves us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Scripture is full of explanations on this. It talks about the cross all over the place. And, and you'll see it. You know, the writer of the Hebrews, Jesus bore his cross willingly for the joy set before him. And you just, what? Like, suffer many things. And we, during Lent, we talk about the many things Jesus suffered. But for the joy set before him, because of what it accomplished, that you are now his. And heaven is your home. That brought him joy. Uh, James said it this way. He encourages us to consider it pure joy when we face trials as being Christians because they produce perseverance and maturity in us. Peter tells us to even rejoice when we suffer because we are Christians. For not only does it show us that we are Christians, but it will make it all the sweeter when Jesus is revealed in his glory. And Peter says, don't be surprised that you su Wait, Peter said that? Peter, the guy who ran away from suffering? Peter, the guy who couldn't conceive of a cross being good at all? Jesus' cross or the crosses he was having to bear? Yet he starts, he talks about it all the time. Read, you know, this afternoon, get some time or make it a priority. First Peter, second Peter. Read through it and you see Peter talks about the cross all the time. Jesus and also the crosses that he gives us and the blessing they are. Peter. When, when Jesus rose from the grave, Peter's perspective changed a lot. As Peter, as Jesus appeared to Peter, as Jesus forgave Peter, as Jesus reinstated Peter to, to be his disciple and to go out and proclaim this message. And then on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes in this powerful way on the disciples and, the, and, and he stands up to preach, all he can talk about is Christ crucified and risen. Why? Because Jesus had changed his perspective, his goal, his purpose. His goal was God, and his purpose was God's will. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, see God's grace in the cross. His, because it means your forgiveness and eternal life, is yours. Ours, because it means that, that God is continually conforming us to his will, continually keeping our minds set on him and his love for us. And that the cross is only for this life, and heaven will be revealed relieved of it. See God's grace in the cross, his and ours. Amen.